0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Cato Institute. My name is John Samples. I'm the director of the Cato, uh, the Cato Institute's uh, Center for Representative Government. And I'd like to welcome you to our book forum about uh, this book, John Gears in Defense of Negativity. And my wife said this morning uh, over breakfast, what's so typical of you to be uh, doing something defending negativity. But as you can see, it's attack ads and presidential campaigns, which also are not all that popular. So we have a very interesting uh, program for you today, and one that's very counterintuitive. Um, I should also mention, and speaking of counterintuitive, and we do like to do counterintuitive things, we like to challenge the conventional wisdom here in Washington, here at the Cato Institute. In two weeks' time, we shall be having a uh, book forum on this book, the Fallacy of Campaign Finance Reform, which uh, is also a book that, uh, that I am the author of and brings into question uh, yet another received truth about uh, American politics. Today, however, we'll be hearing from John Gere after I uh, stop talking, and he'll talk about his book In Defense of Negativity and some of its importance for the upcoming election campaign. Then we'll hear from Professor Jeremy Mayer, from George Mason University, who offers some comments, context, and uh, uh, criticisms, perhaps, of the book. After that, uh, we'll see whether Professor Gere wants to s- uh, respond a bit, and in any case, we'll go shortly to question and answers, so you too will have your chance to ask uh, either one of our participants about these important issues. Um, I- The large-scale uh, context for today's uh, discussions is, of course, the U.S. Constitution. The United States Constitution has a First Amendment, and the First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech and several other freedoms. Uh, and indeed, in the case of uh, New York Times versus Sullivan, in this particular case, uh, the idea of uh, political speech The Supreme Court has said that there's a very widespread uh, protections for freedom against, uh, for example, the limitation of libel. That is to say, if a person is a public figure, the Supreme Court has said, you can say pretty much what you want about them as long as you don't do it in actual malice, that is, doing it knowing it's wrong or doing it in reckless disregard of what the negative things you say about them, uh, whether or not they are correct, true, or untrue. So that's a pretty wide standard for what might be called negative political speech, and it is one, I would suggest, that's implicit in the First Amendment guarantees for freedom of speech. However, uh, against this constitutional context, and which might be said to, to protect the better angels of our nature, there is also the real world of free speech, And in particular, in regard to negative advertising, the constitutional protections, the welcoming of different perspectives, even negative perspectives or critical perspectives, is unfortunately somewhat less popular and somewhat less uh, recognized. For example, the public does not like negative advertising. In a Gallup poll in 2000, uh, which allowed people to say whether they strongly agreed or Uh, strongly disagreed with a statement that negative ads have a place in campaigns. 44% strongly, as strongly as possible, disagreed that such ads had a place. 11%, only 11% agreed. And in fact, a majority said strongly or just simply disagreed that negative ads, which are political speech, had no place in campaigns. It's also true that scholars often... uh, Don Gear will be an exception, but they too do not like negative advertising. One of the leading students of media and politics, Kathleen Hall Jamieson, once said, quote, campaign discourse is failing the body politic in the United States, unquote. One of the leading studies of uh, political advertising uh, began by questioning whether the possibility that negative advertising might drive down turnout created uh, an opportunity or indeed the necessity of regulation of such advertising so again scholars also and perhaps least surprisingly of all public officials and politicians uh, do not like negative advertising, even before he ran for president John Kerry said at the time of the McCain-Feingold debate in Congress in the Senate John Kerry said despite the ever increasing sums spent on campaigns we have not seen an improvement in campaign discourse issue discussion or voter education more money does not mean more ideas, more substance, or more depth. Instead, it means more of what voters complain about most. More 30-second spots, more negativity, and an increasingly longer campaign period. Less money might actually improve the quality of discourse requiring candidates to do more cautiously spend their resources. So the notion that negative uh, campaigns actually makes uh, the public less aware, less informed, very much on the mind of Senator Kerry at the time of McCain-Feingold. And, of course, it was one of the sponsors of that ca- that bill, uh, Senator John McCain, who said at, at the same time, quote, if you cut off soft money, which the bill ultimately did, you're going to see a lot less of attack ads. Prohibit unions and corporations from making soft money contributions, and you will see a lot less of attack ads or negative ads. If you demand full disclosure for those that pay for those ads, you're going to see a lot less of them, unquote. In other words, Senator McCain was saying negative ads are such a bad thing that through the regulation of campaign finance, we can actually reduce them, and if we do reduce them, that won't be a violation of the First Amendment, or it might be, but it'll be a good thing. So again, you see very much uh, a strongly negative view about negative ads. Well, that's the conventional wisdom today that this important book runs very strongly counter to w- with lots of data and very fine analysis. And that, today we were going to hear from the author of the book, John Gere. If you're a political scientist, you know John Gere is both a professor of political science at Vanderbilt University. But you also know that he's the editor of the Journal of Politics, which is uh, uh, among the leading, it's, it's easy to say, among the leading journals in, the, in scholarship in political science. Uh, he's uh, now working on a book on transition to the Oval Office, which will, is under contract with Congressional Quarterly. He's edited uh, Public Opinion and Polling Around the World and Politicians and Party Politics. And he's the author of uh, From Tea Leaves to Opinion Polls Politicians, Information, and Leadership. Uh, Professor Gere is uh, a graduate of Princeton University, where he got his PhD in 1986. And then, uh, won't you join me in welcoming John Gere?
1: Well, thank you, John, for those nice comments. And also, thank you all for for coming. Um, what I want to try to do today is talk a little bit about the book, but I'm not going to bore you with the, the details of social science, because for the most part, it's, it's boring. I mean, I could tell you about all the travails of coding ads and stuff like that, but I will save you that. I'll save that for conferences and for journal pieces. Um, instead, what I want to try to do is start out with an observation that I think will prove true that 2006, this midterm campaign, promises to be the most negative in recent memory. And that possibility was recently reinforced by an article in the Washington Post, I think it was a Sunday edition, not this last Sunday, but the previous Sunday, which reported that the Republican Party has uh, $50 million uh, in their, I think, senatorial campaign chest and they plan to spend 90% of it on attack advertising. And there's been previous stories that the Democrats are very confident about being able to take back the House and the Senate except for negative ads, which strikes me as a huge except um, and one that should cause the Democrats quite a bit of concern. I think that the basic point is that 2006 will be negative for three basic reasons. Two, well, first, the country is polarizing. We all know that. We live in red and we live in blue states and the country's divided. That polarization means there's more grounds for attack. 30 to 40 years ago when the parties overlapped much more, when there were conservative Democrats and liberal Republicans, there was less basis for attack. Today there's far more. Second, the stakes are high, and the stakes are high in part because there's polarization. If the Democrats take control of the House or the Senate or both, that matters a lot for policy. It matters much more than it would have 30 or 40 years ago. And again, that gives incentive for attack because these things matter, and certainly matter to the Bush White House. Third, and this is more of an observation and some in the Democratic side and the Republican side may disagree with this, but I don't think either side has a lot to run on. And what I mean by that is that the Republicans are plagued by Iraq, high gas prices, high deficits, etc. And the Democrats, frankly, don't have a coherent message. It's not really clear what they would do in Iraq. It's not clear what they would do on security and various issues like that. So as a result, what they'll tend towards, I think, is attacking each other because they certainly can raise doubts about the other side. And there will be, as a result, a huge outpouring of negative ads. And if, in fact, it happens, voters, as John just indicated, will be unhappy and there'll be a few people interviewed by various journalists talking about how they're disgusted by the process. Candidates who are attacked, of course, never like it. And members of the journalistic community and the punditry, et cetera, will also be upset about it. The problem is, and this is partly what this book is designed to correct, is we don't know very much about attack advertising. Political science, my own discipline, has been quick to study voters and how voters respond to attack advertising, and we have a pretty good handle on that. For instance, the so-called demobilization hypothesis that negative ads, decrease turnout seems to be dead. We now have pretty clear evidence that, in fact, it doesn't decrease turnout. If anything, it might have a slight stimulative effect. But holding that aside, we've studied a lot about voters, but we don't know much about negative ads and, or positive ads. And so my goal here is to try to offer a little bit of a corrective, to look at it systematically. Because, unfortunately, journalists and pundits will pick out one ad that they find outrageous, and there will be outrageous ads in 2006. There already are some. Why? Product of large numbers. To some degree. In the presidential case, there is occasionally an ad that crosses the line, so to speak, but not very often, partly because you have two highly talented candidates competing against each other with highly skilled teams back behind them, whereas in the congressional election, you have a lot of variants. You have some candidates who are so bad they should be attacked viciously. I mean, I would point that out. I mean, people don't think about that. Some of these people are turkeys. <laughs> and so they should be attacked, and people get upset about it, but hey, this is, a, you know, this is somebody who doesn't really warrant serious consideration. And so again, when you think about the product of large numbers, it gives you a slightly different uh, take on it. In any case, there will be a negative reaction to these negative ads, but is it a fair assessment? Well, first of all, let me paint very broad strokes and remind people that actually democracy requires negativity. If you're going to hold somebody accountable, you often have to criticize them. You often have to tell them why they're wrong, point out these problems. And if you want to change the status quo, let's say that you believe that the policies pursued by the Bush administration are wrong. Okay, you can't just say what you're going to do. You need to first say why they're wrong. To change the status quo, you have to lay out an argument. You have to go negative. You have to be critical. And then you have to lay out from there what your actual plans for, for government will be. But we do need negativity. I'm not arguing that you need all negative ads. That would be a silly position. But rather that some negative ads seem certainly reasonable because we need to know about that. We need to know why we should change things. What's wrong with the situation in Iraq, for example, and what, how we will fix it. You know, we have this notion, and I say we, and I'm talking about people who observe politics and political science as well, that po- the democracy and politics, we should all just get together, break out the wine and cheese, and, and talk happy thoughts and have happy thoughts. Well, that's silly. That's a pitched battle for control of government. The Democrats want to control and redirect it. The Republicans want to continue on the particular path that they're following, and which is right. Well, you've got to have a vetting. You've got to have criticism back and forth. You've got to have a discussion. And that discussion requires negativity. And I would remind people that this country, in some sense, was formed on negativity. I always urge my students, for a variety of reasons, to read the Declaration of Independence, but partly for them to realize that it's an attack document. Another guy named George was the subject of that attack, and he was attacked pretty harshly. I even, and I admit this to my social science friends, and I guess I'll admit it to you, you know, I've content a lot of ads. Content analyzed a lot of ads in this book. I even content analyzed the Declaration of Independence, which means that I will probably be in a social science hell when I die, of some sort because I've committed the ultimate sin. But if you take a look at that, you will see that in fact it's mostly a negative document. Or right after the Constitution was put, came out of the convention, the Anti-Federalists went on a vicious campaign attacking the Federalist position and the new Constitution. And what came of it? The Bill of Rights, for example. Not a bad thing. Criticism sometimes yields good outcomes. And I'm not going to try to equate attack advertising to what went on at the Constitutional Convention or the Declaration of Independence, but it's just a reminder that negativity is part and parcel of politics. Well, one of the first problems we have when we talk about this subject is that our definitions vary. What do we mean by negativity? Um, a lot of people have differing definitions, often self-serving. I had the opportunity to interview Alex Castellanos, who did the Bush media stuff in 2000 and 2004. He's a very good interview, very smart individual. And I asked him, what do you think about this term negativity? And he goes, no, nah, I don't like it. I don't like it. He goes, what I prefer, we don't call it negativity here at the shop. We call it something else. We call it hard-hitting issue ads about our opponent's record of shame. Okay? <laughs> now, I would have loved to have used that term in the book. But as John can point out, University of Chicago has a very, you know, worries a lot about page length and so would have added a lot to the uh, to the book. But I would have preferred to have used Alex's, Alex's term. My definition of negativity is a very simple one and people can quibble with it and I don't, I don't mind it at all. Obviously since I'm a defender of negativity I have to be prepared to attack, take attacks on the book. But basically, if you raise doubts about the opposition in any form, whether it's about traits or issues, it counts as negative. If you're talking about yourself and giving voters a reason to vote for you, that's counted as as positive. And that's my simple definition. And I look not just at each ad, but in the guts of each ad. So a typical ad of 30 seconds usually has 13 to 14 reasons why you should or should not vote for a particular candidate. And so I've looked at those, those actual guts of each ad and have coded them in in a way, and again, I'm not going to bore you with the details. But that's how I define negativity. Well, negativity I want to defend, and I came to this defense in a variety of ways, and I don't need to necessarily lay it all out here. But one of the first things I need to do is to figure out what constitutes a good ad. What is something we want out of campaigns? This is a normative question. It's a value question. Many of you will disagree with this. I have four simple standards. Nobody will take issue with these. You may want more, you might want to adjust them a little bit, but I don't think they're particularly controversial. First of all, most people want ads to be more about issues than traits. Second, they'd like ads to be more specific than vague, hardly controversial. Third, they'd like to see them more documented than not documented. And finally, they'd like to see the ads to be on the issues that matter to governing, hardly controversial. If, in fact, you think those are four good things that would speak well of any kind of ad, then believe it or not, you can come out of the closet you are a fan of negative ads. Negative ads, in fact, are more about issues than positive ads. They are more specific. They are more documented. And they tend to be about the real problems facing this country. I have some reasons for that that I want to I talk about. But let me just give you a little example that will highlight this. In 1980, Ronald Reagan attacked Jimmy Carter harshly. On, the, on a variety of issues, but very heavily on the issue of inflation. Why? Inflation was very high. It was 18, 19 percent, however you ma- counted it, interest rates were 16, 17 percent. I can't imagine trying to buy a home at a 16 or 17 percent interest rate. But that's what it was, so they were attacked. Walter Mondale in 1984 attacks, very harshly, Ronald Reagan in many of his commercials. He never mentions inflation in any of them. Briefly, one time if you want to count it as that, but otherwise never in any of his ads. Why? Inflation was under control. He did attack Ronald Reagan on things like mounting deficit, the huge national debt, other things like that, but Reagan had solved that, or at least it had been solved under his his term. However you want to say it, it disappeared. What's going on is that people have not thought carefully enough about the differential need between attacks and uh, politics and positive politics, if you will. When Bill Clinton went around the country in 1996 or 1992, it doesn't matter, but let's take 96, he would talk about how he wanted to continue to grow the economy, how he wanted to educate our children, how he cared about a clean environment. He said all those kinds of things. But when he went on the attack against Bob Dole, he could not say simply that Bob Dole does not want to educate our kids. Bob Dole wants a stagnant economy, and Bob Dole doesn't care about children. I mean, that's just false. Bob Dole cared about all those things. He wanted all those goals. To attack, you have to go a step further. You need to say, what about Bob Dole's policies will lead to problems with the economy? What about Bob Dole's policies that would lead to uh, an environment that wouldn't be as clean as we like? It forces you to go further. And there's another thing about attack politics that people forget, is there is a need for evidence. And what I mean by that is if you walk into a, let's say you're, you work in a, a firm and you have a lot of co-workers and you go into your boss and you say, let's say your co-worker's name is uh, is Ken. And you say, well, yeah, I have to tell you that Ken's been embezzling money from the company. Well, boss is going to be pr- pretty taken aback by that. He's going to say, well, what evidence do you have for that? And if indeed you don't produce any evidence, you'll look like the fool because you've just lied. If you produce the evidence, you'll... Gain credibility in the boss's mind, Ken will be fired And you'll have looked like you've been looking out For the business's interests But if you don't have evidence, you'll look bad By comparison, imagine if you walked Into your boss's office and you said Ken just won an award for community service In in our city Your boss's response would be, show me the letter That would not be the response It would be great, it would be applause, it would be happiness There would be an assumption that you're telling the truth And there's this need for evidence When you go on the attack And attack ads are well documented You'll see them. Oftentimes, New York Times said this, or Congressional Bill said this. It goes on all the time. Even went on in 64. If you look through some of the great ads put forward, and great, I say, because from my point of view, not from a partisan point of view. uh, You know, 64, obviously, Johnson attacked. Barry Goldwater very.